asking again for your cleansing, that there might be no barrier to us hearing you. We do desire, Lord, to listen to your word and to hear your will for our lives, that you might direct us in your paths. We pray for the folk amongst us who have heavy hearts, large burdens, and ask that they might know the strong sense of your presence and empowering. Help them to trust in you and in your timing. We pray for those amongst us who struggle with illness or diagnosis. Help them to cast their cares upon you, Lord, and to trust you to work out your purposes in their earthly lives. I pray that you would strengthen families, that you would help husbands to be heads of homes, that you would help mums and dads to teach and to train the children in your ways. We pray for the work of our Kindy Kids Church and our Kids Church operating right now. We thank you for the volunteers and the teachers. Give them, Lord, great joy in teaching your truth and in seeing young lives accept Jesus. So, Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves, our nation, and those around us in our community before you this morning, asking for your blessing to be upon us and that you might help us to walk in your ways. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said... We have two more weeks we're going to spend in the book of Proverbs, and I want to read to you two chapters from Proverbs this morning, from chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. And then next Sunday, we're going to conclude our time in the book of Proverbs, at least for this year, and we're going to talk about something that'll come up this morning, and you'll understand why we've extended that into next week, about the words that we use, all that Proverbs says about speech. This morning, we're going to focus on what does the book of Proverbs tell us about God? There are many Proverbs in the world, and the unique thing about the book of Proverbs in the Scriptures is that they have a very strong divine perspective, that they are all orientated towards very practical issues in this life, but it's with a view of God being at the centre of life, that this is how we are to conduct our lives. So Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19. The author says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man or a person who stirs up dissension among brothers. Six things, no, seven things the Lord hates. Well, that's a pretty clear revelation about God's attitude and what he is like. Let's flip over to chapter 16, and we'll read just the first seven verses. Though there are many other references in chapter 16 even that include the Lord. Um... I had Kylie do a Bible search for me through the computer and for the words God, Lord, and Lord in capital letters. And I've got about 10 pages of verses just that wherever the Lord is mentioned through Proverbs. So it's a, a theme which resonates, permeates the entire book. It's the scriptures are given to us for us to learn more about God. We study the word of God so that we can better know the God of the word. Chapter 16. To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. In other words, God has the last word. 
verse 2. All of a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. And finally, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Again, I commend to you to read through the book of Proverbs, to read it carefully. Read it with a pen or with colours and take note of the different themes and sometimes the repetition of themes, which is deliberate. As I said, we study the word of God that we might better know the God of the word. And I know the theme that I'm going to be talking about this morning and the songs that we've already sung have an amazing theme running through them. There are four things I want to say this morning about God, that he is holy, that he is compassionate, that he is sovereign, and that he is wise. And we'll tie these together at the end. There are two responses that we are to make. Proverbs reveals to us the God who is, the one whom we should listen to, obey, love, serve, and increasingly know. It's quite possible that we can live our life without knowing lots of things, but you can't really make a life without knowing God. You can exist, but if you want to live, then you need to know God. It's what Jesus says. I've come that they might have life, life in abundance, not just existence. Well, what does the book of Proverbs teach us about God? Well, firstly, that he is holy. Chapter 9, verse 10, informs us very clearly. Let me just get it for you. That God is holy means that he is certainly pure, without defilement, but it also means that he is different, that he is other than. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God is holy. It's the holiness is the presence of an active, perfect will. And because he is holy, and we are called therefore to copy him and emulate him, because he is holy, he therefore hates, he detests, he responds to anything which is harmful to others. And sin is certainly that. That's why it's surprising to read in that first reading that God hates things. We don't read a lot of that in the scriptures, but we certainly do read it. And it's not hate like we experience hatred, but it's rather a righteous response to that which is wrong. A righteous response to evil or to sin. Um, Proverbs 8 verse 13 outlines it for us. It says... To fear the Lord is to hate evil. The Lord says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I hate it. He reacts to it. He is averse to it. He dislikes it exceedingly and he will act in such a way as to bring about justice or discipline. 
So now, let's have a quick look at the things that God outlined for us, those six or seven things in chapter 6. What are the things that God is averse to? And are they in our life? And if they are, then we are actually working against what God is working to do. So it's a mirror thing. Uh, and as we work our way through it pretty quickly, it's, you'll see that these are very common practices amongst us as people. In the world that we live in, it's a fallen world. And sadly, it's not just out there in the world, but it's also in here amongst God's people, that we can have these same issues. But of course, the encouragement is that while God hates sin, he is a God of grace, and his grace is sufficient to forgive those who repent. What does God hate? He hates a look that is proud. A look that is proud, because the look reveals the heart. God hates pride. Pride is the very first sin in the universe. It was the sin of Lucifer, Isaiah 44, where five times he says, I will ascend on, on the throne of the Most High and I will rule and reign with him. Lucifer wanting to assert himself, that's what pride does, it elevates itself. Elevates itself to a position where it's either not appropriate or it's not deserved. Then, of course, this is what is repeated in the Garden of Eden. That's what happened to Eve where she reached out her hand to take the fruit, the forbidden fruit, because it, she did, she, Satan said to her that it would make her like God, elevating her to a position which is inappropriate and something that she didn't deserve, pride. She was tempted, coveted the status. And of course, it's still with us. It's still harmful, pride. And it keeps many unbelievers away from God because they refuse to humble themselves. They refuse to admit their need or to humble themselves before him pride. People's attitudes are, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. God hates it. Is that in you? Secondly, the tongue that lies, God hates. Why do people lie? Well, often to cover things up, to cover up sin, to cover up mistakes, to make ourselves appear better than what we really are. The intent is always to mislead or to deceive. And it doesn't matter what colour they are, black or white. A lie is a lie is a lie. God hates lies. He wants us to be truth-tellers. That's the very opposite to his nature, isn't it? Who is righteous and he is truth. There is no lie that dwells in him. On the opposite side, you have Satan, who is a liar and the father of lies. So now we have a choice, and we're in the middle. Do we follow the God of truth, or are we compromising with a father of lies by the way that we speak. God hates lies. Which one are we going to follow? Thirdly, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, that's obviously referring to murder, but remember what the Lord Jesus said. It's not just the outward act of murder. It's the anger in the heart that precedes it. If I have anger in my heart against another, then I've already broken the commandment. I've already committed this sin. Anger in the heart towards another. Unforgiveness, bitterness. The Lord doesn't like it. Hearts that devise wicked schemes or wicked imaginations. Plotting and planning. Doing things astray. Feet that are swift to run to mischief. To get into evil. A false witness. Especially in a court of law where they are on oath to tell the truth. But they lie. And then there is this pattern which is... Did he make a mistake? It's like there are six things God hates. And when he gets to the end, he goes, no, 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 hang on, there's seven. Did he forget one? 
I don't think so. I think it's just a, a literary device where the author is saying, there are six things God hates. Now, hang on, there is a seventh. And the seventh one is for emphasis. That's the one you are to take note of. And this is the one that we're going to come back and talk about more next week. It's the sin or the thing that God hates is when one sows discord among brothers, causing division. How do we do that? Well, the book of Proverbs is filled with teaching and instruction. It's through the words that we say. And Proverbs is filled with direction on how we are to speak and how we are to guard our lips. And we'll talk about that next week. And to guard against this thing. You see, God is at work to try and bring people together. This sin, sowing discord among brothers, is working the opposite. Again, working against God. And we do that even as the people of God. In the name of God, we are opposing the work of God. That's something to repent of, something to acknowledge. So God, firstly, is holy. He is the righteous one. Secondly, he is compassionate. I won't spend too much time on this, but the book of Proverbs has going all the way through it about um, care for the poor and the needy, for the widows and for the orphans. In chapter 14, verse 31, we are to be kind to the poor. Chapter 22, verse 2, it's the rich and the poor, the Lord has made them both. Mm. Excuse me, I still get dry mouth. And thank you for the suggestions who have come and told me what they think it is. I don't think it is midlife crisis. <laughs> I don't think I have diabetes. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but I shall find out. God is a compassionate God. And as he is a compassionate God, he invites us not only to copy him, but he's looking and watching us to see how we are treating other people. You know as well as I do, the New Testament takes this emphasis very strongly that we are to be loving to one another. And that love is to be worked its way out, like the story of the Good Samaritan and so on. God is a compassionate God who wants us to do the right thing, to do the just thing. To care for the rich, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the oppressed. We are not to ignore them. We are to respond to them. And we're not simply to handball it to our government either to say, oh, they'll look after it. We have a role and a responsibility. Not just especially among those amongst us, but not only those amongst us. It's to go broader than that. God is a holy God. God is a compassionate God. God is a sovereign God. And therefore he calls us to trust him. God's holiness and his righteousness is what governs and rules the world. Therefore there are divine moral principles there is a day of judgment coming. Chapter 16, verse 4 says, and there's a lot in chapter 16, the Lord works out everything according to his own ends, even the wicked for the day of judgment. The Lord works out everything. Chapter 16, verse 1, as I said, as we read it through, God is the one who has the last word. We can plan to do things, to man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. You can plan you can anticipate, but unless it is God's will, unless God permits it, unless God allows it, then he will have the last word. He is a sovereign God. Chapter 16, verse 13. Remember this one next time you're playing Monopoly or something like that. 16, 13, that's not it. Ah, I can't find it now. 
It's the one where the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every response is from the Lord. Where is it? 33, 16, Thank you. So next time you're playing a game and you roll the dice and you need a six and you get a four, God's sovereign will. <laughs> it's an extreme example, but simply emphasising the truth that God is aware and is overruling all the details of our lives. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing, he never makes a mistake. He is sovereign, powerful. Chapter 21, verse 30, it's no plans can ever succeed against him. You can't overthrow him. Or chapter 21, verse 31. God, in fact, in his sovereignty, is working through us in this world to accomplish his purposes. This is not a popular truth or a popular doctrine, generally speaking, for humankind. Spurgeon, in fact, said that mankind hates this truth against God. It arouses intense opposition in the unrenewed heart. We rebel against the sovereign God. Proverbs, in fact, teaches that as well. In chapter 19, verse 3, our heart rages against God, the fool and the wicked. Or chapter 17, verse 11, those same are rebels against God. Our God is a sovereign God, and because he is sovereign, he invites us to trust him. He does not explain what he is doing or why he allows certain things to happen. He takes us beyond our ability to comprehend but he doesn't take us into places where we can't trust him. And that's what the sovereignty of God teaches us. We are to certainly balance it with our own human responsibility. Because God is sovereign, we cannot and ought not to justify laziness. Well, God will work his purposes out. It doesn't matter what I do anyway. God will do his will. No, God does his will through us. And he calls us to think and to submit. He calls us to plan and to choose and to decide. But not to do that independently of him but rather to do it dependently interdependently on him chapter 16 verse 3 commit to the lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed make your plans decide work it through he's given you a brain he expects you to use it but having done so bring it in submission before him lord this is my best take on this and this is the direction i'm going in if that's not the way you want me to go then you direct me you're the sovereign lord I want to do your will and your purposes. Chapter 16, verse 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Some of these things are inexplainable, aren't they? There are two truths, like railway tracks. Both are true. God is sovereign, but we are free and responsible. And this morning, I'm wanting to emphasize this side that God is sovereign. He is sovereign in nature, He is sovereign in history. He is the maker of all things. He sits on the throne and he rules over all. And his commandments to us are his enablements. They are his divine directions. And as we walk in obedience, he will bless and open doors. Because God is sovereign, he sees and hears all. That's worth remembering. He sees and he hears all. Chapter 5, verse 21. A man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. Keep that consciously before you. The Lord is watching. The Lord is listening. And the Lord is not just watching and listening to your words and your outward behaviour. But as a sovereign God, he examines the heart. It penetrates to the motives. Chapter 16, verse 2. 
A person's ways may seem pure to them, but God weighs the motives. 1511, the human heart is open to God. 17 verse 3, the Lord tests the heart. The sovereign God sees, hears and examines. And I've already told you that he is holy and that he detests lying lips, proud looks, people who sow discord among brothers. There are things where we need to align ourselves with this one who is watching us, who will call us to give an account to him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 talks about that we, our hearts and our lives are naked and open before him and nothing can be hid from his sight. Because he is holy and because he is righteous and because he is sovereign and will achieve his purposes, we have to make sure we are walking with him, surrendered to his will. Not being selective, I'll do this bit, but not that bit. It's surrendered to his will completely and seeking to honour his name. God is holy. God is compassionate. God is sovereign. And God is wise, inviting us to listen to him. God is all-wise, all-knowing, Proverbs tells us. He's able to devise plans to attain perfect ends. Nobody can teach God anything because he already knows it. Nobody can say to God, he made a mistake because he does all things well. That's why Paul says to him, he is the only wise God. And the amazing thing is that this all-knowing, all-wise God wants to share his wisdom with, with us. He has revealed his plans back in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. God wants to share his wisdom with us, and he does so primarily through the scriptures. Hence, our need to depend upon the scriptures and to be reading them. God orders all the events of this world by his wise providence. And so there are two responses the book of Proverbs gives us that we can make to this holy and compassionate God, to this sovereign and wise God. And the two responses both carry a blessing with them. The book of Proverbs invites us to fear God, and the book of Proverbs invites us to trust God, to fear him in chapter 28 and verse 14. The fear of God carries a blessing with it. Chapter 28, verse 14 says, Blessed is the one who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. That's the first response that we are to make. We are to fear God because he is holy and he hates sin. We are to fear God because he is compassionate and he invites us to be compassionate towards others and there will be consequences if we are not doing that. So Proverbs teaches. But the book of Proverbs also invites us not just to fear God and fear is not to be in terror of but fear is to a very deep, reverence, an awareness of his power and a, an awareness that he is greater than we are. It's like Jacob in Genesis 28 
when Jacob uh, lies down, puts his head on a stone pillow and falls asleep and has this dream. And he wakes up. And he wakes up with this awareness that he says, surely God is in this place. And I didn't know it. He says, how awesome that is. That's that fear of the Lord, this deep respect of who this sovereign, holy, compassionate and wise God is. There is that response. But then Jacob goes on to say, if the Lord will go with me, It's not a fear that repels us. It's a fear that attracts us. It's deep, mysterious respect, obedience, submission. That's the response the book of Proverbs calls us to do. It's the first step. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's where it starts. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Blessed is the one who trembles before God, who fears God. There's a blessing attached with that, Proverbs teaches. The second response is one of trust. Blessed are those who trust. 16 verse 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. God invites us to trust him because he is sovereign and he is working his purposes out. And he invites us to trust him because he is wise. He knows all things. Make sense? We study the Bible, the Word of God, so that we can better understand the God of the Word. When we do that with Proverbs, we reveal, we learn these things. We are reminded that God is holy. And he calls us, likewise, to avoid what he hates. The book of Proverbs reveals to us that he is compassionate. And Proverbs teaches us exhorts us and challenges us to copy him, to care for the oppressed, widows and the orphans and so on. The book of Proverbs teaches us that God is sovereign and therefore to be actively involved in the world and things of life but to do all in submission to him and to his rule. And Proverbs teaches us finally that God is all-knowing, that he is wise and that he offers us this wisdom so that we can make wise choices. We are to listen to his instructions these are things that are not new to us we've heard this for years the question is are we doing these things i know these things is it impacting my life it's quite possible let me conclude with this it's quite possible for us as bible believing followers of the lord jesus to have his word and to be reading it but not actually to be and learning things, knowing things, but for those things not to be, not just not impacting our lives, but not developing our relationship with God. It's a bit like we could be visiting a family and we can either spend time getting to know the people in the family or we can have a photo album and we can be flipping through the photo album every time we go and visit them. And instead of engaging and developing a relationship with the family, we're learning all we can about the family through the photo album. Well, that's stupid, isn't it? Isn't it? You wouldn't do that. I don't know anybody who would do that. What I'm trying to illustrate is, but it's possible for us to, when we come to the Bible, we're treating it like the photo album. That we're learning things, but we're not actually engaging and developing the relationship. 
so that when we come to the scriptures to read the word of God, it's given to us that we might know more intimately, more deeply, more personally, the God of the word. God's given us his word that we might know him, our relationship with him. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to get across. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you've been, you are the great and transcendent God, invisible to our eyes. And if you did not choose to reveal yourself, we would remain in deep darkness, completely ignorant of you and what you were like. We'd be guessing. But Lord, you haven't done that. You've taken the initiative. You have revealed yourself. You have told us things about yourself and about how you work in the world. And you've invited us into a relationship with you. You invite us now to continue to walk with you. You've told us and revealed to us that you're a God of holiness. God who hates sin. Who dislikes it greatly and is working against it. And you invite us to do the same. Not to indulge, but to resist and to stand against. Lord, enable us to become more holy, like Jesus. You're a God who is compassionate. You care for all people and you call us to do the same. Not to be indifferent, not to be dismissive, nor to be selfish. So Lord, open our eyes and lead us to people whom you care for and whom you want us to be caring for. You're a God who is sovereign and that with whatever is going on in our life, you've done it or allowed it and you've got a purpose in it. Help us to trust you and your timing that you'll work these things out to achieve your purposes and our growth. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are all wise, that nothing is beyond your ability to reveal to us the direction to go. We want to know you more, to follow you more closely, to surrender completely to your will and to serve you that your name may be honoured in the earth. Heavenly Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.